Greetings comrades and welcome to the Eastern Border. Today I'd like to talk to you about um, an interesting thing that I noticed a few days ago, to be honest, but then I had to research this a bit more. But, uh, well, when I found out, I think that um, that's important that kind of shows how Rush actually functions. Secondly, of course, about the campaign of Boris Nadezhdin. And we'll finish up with some interesting news there, because in the Vdivka there's a dangerous situation happening where currently uh, Rush stands to gain more, a bit more ground as their only successful place, but, um, you know, the elections are coming close. Therefore, Russia needs some sort of success, you see. As, as usual, you know, some, some tiny little village won't do. They need to capture something to show for, for, for Putin to be satisfied. But about Putin satisfaction, the interesting thing that I found out was, uh, was that there are only two types of people that uh, are basically exchanged when Putin decides to transfer and do some exchanges with prisoners of war, which are rare these days, you know. These news about these um, POWs being exchanged, yeah, you think they'd be happening in the background, but they really don't. And see, the latest one, uh, where 248 POWs were returned to Russia and to Ukraine, yeah, this only happened because um, United Arab Emirates, who are now playing some sort of in-between mediator game, they pushed to, for Putin to look some sort of, you know, nicer and to do this prisoner exchange. And I think, you know, it's, again, in the context of election, really. Because if Putin could, he uh, could, you know, not return anyone. Because, because what's the point? They, um, they normally don't really <laughs> return people because, again, human life has not a value in modern-day Russia. But you see, this uh, prisoner exchange happened on the 3rd of January, finally. And the thing is, 248 POWs were returned to Russia. About the same were returned back, maybe less, because for one, it was supposed to be 173 versus 173. And then there were some wounded people, which Ukraine just added, because they are heavily wounded people. But other than those people who were not heavily wounded, it was... Uh, Basically, all of them, all of those people who were just there and were not wounded, 73% of those totally released. But again, if you discount the heavily wounded, then that's 100% all of them. Or, um, or, yeah, were those people who were recruited by the Russian Ministry of Defense while serving prison sentences. And there's a lot of videos where these people, you know, on Ukraine's side, the journalists just go through and just check, you know, who who these people are and what's what's happened and everything. But yeah, the the numbers requested by Russia consists of, of these guys. Oh, and some Chechens too, sorry. Not hundred percent, but like it's very close to hundred percent. Thing is that there's just a weird situation there where no one's commenting on this and I really wanted to know why. Well because for example Kiev Post reports that among those exchanged was for example, Anton Misyashchakov, a former prisoner from the Leningrad region who had been recruited into a Storm Z detachment. Mr. Chakov was serving a five-year term in the correctional facility near the town of Fransovo for drugs offenses before signing a contract with the Ministry of Defense. He's currently stationed in a military unit in the Moscow region, where he and others were informed that they would stay for a month, during which th- time the FSB would work with them. 
His relative explained that Mr. Chakov had opted for military service because he had still two, two years left to serve and had little prospect of being paroled. His family are worried that the video in which he criticized the Russian command while in captivity might cause problems for him. Another uh, released POW was Oleg Shunin, who had been sentenced to 11 years in a high-security prison in January 2023 for murder. Although it's known that he had undergone a medical exam examination and FSB interviews somewhere in the Moscow region, really, not much information about, about everything. But the thing is, again, the main question here is why? Why, why now and, and why, why make these things in total? Well, for this, we kind of have to look at the whole attitude of these people. Because some of them have talked to me and some of them have talked to other people. You know, these uh, ex-convicts who have now gotten freedom after fighting in Ukraine. And then they tend to disappear. They're also worked with, with the FSB. I mean, it's way easier for, uh, for the government. And this is a very cynical point at this that I'm going to make here. It's very, very easy for um, the higher-ups to control these ex-prisoners who already do a lot of crimes and, and a lot of things. A lot of them returned there. And I watched the video where they were just interrogated uh, before being gone to Russia, you know, being, being sent, before being sent back. And they're all like, I'm, I'm serving for 105th, which is murder, and, and all this stuff. A lot of them drugs, a lot of thieves too, but a lot, a lot of murder as well. And the thing is, it kind of makes sense because you know this of course will, is, is going to hurt wives and mothers of the russian mobilized even more but putin cannot state that you know these guys who are coming back they're not allowed to say that they were sent into assaults without artillery support that they were in these storm z battalions who were totally mishandled he, he can't really say he can't really allow people to return back home who could then, you know, ruin his reputation before the election and make sure everything looks bad? Because who's going to believe ex-convicts about that, even if they said the truth? Really no one, except maybe people in their own communities, right? But, but he can't really return the actual mobilized because they could already rile up the passions, especially those of Gitkin supporters, even more. Because, you see, Gitkin is, is facing sentencing up in the 25th of January, and and then we'll find out. And probably he's going to get about four years in prison. But already his supporters like Maxim Kalashnikov and all these people are posting that some of the FSB must be working with the enemy and that uh, there is no way Gitkin's going to be put in prison. And apparently, as Gitkin himself has said, but she hasn't, uh, I checked, but, you know, it is what it is, uh, that, that if Gitkin would have been called to serve then that would show that the Russian government is ready to fight for glorious victory. But right now they're, they're worried about uh, the evil liberists, you know, uh, a mix between liberal and pederast, as they call everyone, and fascists too, by the way. It doesn't matter the nationality of Zelensky. It's just, you know, the typical offense is uh, thrown at, at all of us. You know, the, these people would come back and would be way more angry and way more crazy and way more motivated and will be believed. So Putin can't have them back. Meanwhile, Putin is just grabbing back these, these soldiers. And I was stunned about this. But it, again, shows how much he really cares about his own looks, about how everything's going on. And this is going to cause problems even more. Because um, 
members of Pujdamoy, the way home, this group of mobilized soldiers' wives, yeah, they managed to gather it at Putin's election campaign headquarters and demanded the return of mobilized soldiers. Judging by the recordings which were published by Telegram channel Sota, a few of the group's representatives came to the campaign headquarters where journalists were present. Maria Andreev, one of the group's members, asked when Putin would sign the demobilization decree and, and then, you know, all hell, hell broke loose. A few, few people present at the headquarters, either employees or visitors, engaged in discussion with the group's members. When Andreev said her husband didn't want to be in the zone of the SVO, one of the employees responded by saying that men are, quote, warriors, unique creatures of God, who want to defend the homeland. She added that, that quote, those who didn't like it simply didn't go there, to the military enlistment office. Some moved abroad. Maybe he wanted to go. Another person, later identified as actress, by the way, no surprises there, told Andreeva that her husband is the only one who wants to come home and compared Russia's war against Ukraine to a great patriotic war. Uh, that's, by the way, to those of you who don't know, is how World War II is known inside of Russia. Prior to arriving at the headquarters, the group of mobilized soldiers' wives had a protest to the Kremlin, weren't beaten up, even arrested, because again, you can't mess with the mobilized, you can't send them home, because then they'll mess up the situation, but you can't touch them, and you can't touch the wives, and it's a massive headache. Which is amazing, amazing for me. Uh, yeah, they placed flowers at the tomb of the unknown soldier. According to Telegram channel Ostrozno Novosti, approximately 10 employees from the Russian Internal Affairs Ministry Center for Combating Extremism were closely watching the group. You know, they, they sent agents. Because extremism and, and evil, once again. At the same time, you know, we hadn't heard of, uh, we hadn't heard of, of Dmitry Medvedev for a while. But uh, he just shows the general attitude because he has to be this super, super fascist guy who um, follows everything Putin has to say. Quote, uh, Medvedev, he, he basically went to Telegram on Wednesday and he argued once again, as usual, that Ukraine should not exist in any form. In a mini essay, I would call, uh, titled, quote, Why Ukraine is Dangerous for Its Residents. Yes, why Ukraine is Dangerous for its residents. Medvedev argued that from now on, any independent state that lies on historical Russian territories will serve as a pretext for renewed hostilities as long as it exists. And quote, by no means I am only referring to the current state, the Banderite political regime. I'm talking about any version of Ukraine whatsoever. Calling Ukraine a cancerous growth, the former Russian president insisted that the war ravaged country will always be illegitimate from a legal perspective, no matter who its leader is. Yeah, it's just, just amazing. Quote, Therefore, the risk of renewed clashes will persist indefinitely, practically forever. Furthermore, there is a 100% chance of a new conflict, regardless of any papers about the security the West signs with the key of puppet regime. Neither Ukraine's association with the EU, nor even the ascension of this artificial country into NATO, can prevent it. The threatening message concluded with a prediction that because Ukrainians are practical people at the end of the day, end quote, they will ultimately choose life. And uh, one final quote from this piece of trash. They'll understand that life in one large common state, even one that they don't much like at the moment, is better than death. Their death and the deaths of their loved ones. And the sooner Ukrainians wrap their heads around this, the better. Because their country does not deserve to exist is isn't isn't that amazing isn't that just just the best best unique policy that Kremlin has ever created I, I i i cannot even understand how 
how these people can can just then go around and, and then claim that uh, everyone else is is a, a Nazi. But it works. It works that way. It is the stupidest thing ever. But seeking logic, you know, they 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 can't. They're trying to deal with this internal struggle with these internal protests, bringing back practically only uh, only only people who are either ex-convicts or heavily wounded. We just Ukraine threw at them, and they were like, okay. And uh, apparently, apparently also uh, some Chechens, because Chechens always get the priority. They get a separate list. It's, it's a whole different story. But then Kremlin, in its infernal, eternal, and uh, unending stupidity, made another little mistake. See, there exists a kind of this candidate called Boris Nadezhdin. He's scary for Putin. Before that, I have to move back to Bishkoristan for a bit. See, over there, again, uh, b- because I missed it, and I just was researching this previous issue, and I didn't understand uh, that I had to check them out. Yeah, in Bishkoristan, they uh, gave the activist, the local activist, four years in prison, and now there's a massive call from um, the supporters of his to just... They, they have basically positioned themselves with the political demands as well. They are now stating that uh, all Bashkirs must return back from the army, and that they had enough of Moscow and Kremlin, and yelling and, and just basically Moscow messing with their messing with their institutions and and the thing is uh there's a there's a i don't get his name here because again somewhere lost in the notes but there's a singer who's now facing extremism charges because again he in tears with his eyes again in the video stated that yeah in moscow they can yell russia for russians and be super ethnic nationalist but once you know once one activist guy defends a local kind of natural piece of treasure and says that Bashkoristan and Bashkirs are a separate people, he gets called an extremist. And then they try to claim that Russia is a multicultural nation. At the same time, they also destroy, you know, our own natural our own natural beauty and they they steal from our region and don't do anything good for the Bashkir people. And with here like he said, he he was a Russian patriot, but he said that if he doesn't, you know, call people out to go to these protests where truly five thousand people already have arrived at some point, that his people, that his his own people will just, you know, stop existing after a while, which is true. And now we come to Nadezhdin. See, Boris Nadezhdin has done nothing else whatsoever previously in his life. He's been someone who's worked as a clerk. He was in one of those legitimate, totally legitimate opposition parties. You know, one of those that are sanctioned by Kremlin. Like, totally sanctioned opposition guy. And then they kind of picked him because always Putin needs some sort of a liberal sparring partner. You know, to show from the whole thing that a lot of people, you know, to kind of be able to show, because no one cares about the election result, okay? No one, everyone knows that it's, it's going to be illegitimate, nothing's going to happen there, but as Nadezhdin was kind of pushed through as a candidate from a non-parliamentary party, which means he has to collect only a, a it's it's a mess to get uh, even, you know, ballot, to get in a ballot in Russia, but right now he is in the state of collecting signatures to be a presidential candidate. He could step he could skip one step. He's in the second step now. And he was pl- placed out there the same way as um, a couple of years ago, Ksenia Sobchak in 2018, if I remember correctly, was chosen to be this op- opposition liberal dem- candidate. And with this, I think Putin wants to show that, um, that you know, war is more popular in Russia than not war and that Putin's position is more popular. This Nadezhdin guy, you know, previously, like I said, he's done nothing. He's earned money by going on Solovyov's show. 
and just uh, basically being the beating boy for for the ultranationalists over there. He's been the guy that goes out and then defends liberal values and says that we shouldn't, you know, be so evil and maybe we should end the war. And then he's being bashed on by 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 uh, Solovyov. So this guy, well, that, that's their big issue. They kind of need one to kind of legitimize the election, although no one cares about it. But he at least has to show to the average Russian, to, to people in the deep state, so to speak, uh, even people in Bashkortostan who now hate his guts and these mothers of the mobilized, that, of course, you know, they, they are just a tiny minority that people actually want to support the whole war thing. But then there's Boris Nadezhdin. He met the mothers of the mobilized and the wives of the mobilized. And the mobilized are, well, pretty horrible people. They could have just avoided it. But still, you know, it's a thing. This is the only currently, uh, as Michael Naki and Mikhail Kotz, people whom I, I listen to, note, this guy is the only one who can um, legitimately, you know, the only legitimate, not yet prohibited idea uh, the sim- uh, sort of a symbol that could um, that, stand, that stands against the war on the Russian side in some sort of official official perspective, so to speak. And uh, I called Michael Nike here. He, he the, Putin could have just placed a chair with a kind of a kind of a paper no to war on it, and it already would have gotten uh, votes already from all these people who hate the war and want to end it immediately. Now, of course, Nadezhdin is, is a totally sanctioned opposition candidate. He thinks and he always speaks that Crimea needs to remain Russian and to all that whatnot, and he's not perfect. But he's the only thing out there who actually wants to end the war. And apparently he's really disliked by this, by his cur- curators from in the Kremlin, so they kind of want to cut him down as well. So, of course, it's not going to go smoothly. Not one bit. But now Kremlin has kind of unleashed things because there are immense lines just waiting to, to give signatures for him. And, you know, if, if in early January these people were... Yeah, these people can see what the war does. After all, if you bring home only ex-convicts who then do extra crimes, which makes the mothers more unhappy, and then the, then the mothers' protests don't get smacked, then the bigger protests happen in Bashkortostan, and then they radicalize all the time and then you have pissed off all the far-right ultra-war supporters as well, and then you unleash this, who, by the way, Boris Nadezhdin is going to turn into some sort of martyr as well. He doesn't really do anything, it's just that he gets these uh, signatures needed to become a candidate very easily. And they'll just throw him out, they'll, they'll just not even um, acknowledge his existence, I think, because already, uh, recently in the news, there was this accounting about how, how many people are these candidates for candidates to be the Russian president, and he wasn't on the list, David, because, you know, the official Russian propaganda who have created him now no longer do what to do with him. And he lacks any legitimacy whatsoever. His only idea that he publishes is the fact that he really wants to end the war. And that's it. Everything else is corrupt and stupid and evil. But this has caused all the Russian opposition journalists whom I listen to actually support him in a way. Uh, like I said, Michael Lackey said it, that, you know, just, just, just pinch your nose Forget about everything. Just just go in a line. He'll be thrown out. But we have to show the power, the government, that we are. That there's a lot of people who are against the war for any whatsoever reason, and they can't arrest us for this. They can't do, do stuff for it. However, if you are outside of Russia and you are a Russian citizen, I wouldn't go and do signatures for him because, like I said, he also has stated pro-Crimea statements, which could then threaten your uh, ability to, for example, extend your visa in inside the EU because it's illegal to, to be, you know, 
Ukrainians, Ukrainian sovereignty, all that stuff. Uh, it's a bit weird. I think I think it's caused just so the the Dejin could cause some trouble in these whole you know outside of Russia with, with these emigrate people. Although he sort of supports him, it's a bit of a mess. Well, all in all, if you think about it, I don't really think that this. By the way, the, the big question, but I don't think personally that there's going to be even the possibility for uh, anyone who has a Russian citizenship to vote in the upcoming elections outside of Russia like in these unfriendly countries. Sure, they'll open offices in Belarus or something, but you, you won't expect anyone in the United States to be able to vote in the Russian, Russian embassy. Because, oh boy. Also, no, no one in the Baltics is also going to vote there, because if you think about it, what? Putin is definitely going to lose, because right now we have so many Russian citizens here in Europe, and, and I'm pretty sure most of the Russian citizens living in the United States, they kind of don't want to support Putin. And that would just show yet another loss for Mr. Putin. Things are, well, although on the front lines there's more and more meat assaults and things are sort of-ish moving somewhat slowly. There's constant fights and the front line is, is just moving 100 meters a day. Although, you know, Ukraine has developed uh, drones that can fly up to St. Petersburg, which is good. But we'll get to specifically military news a bit uh, in, in the next episode. But but you can see how this this house of cards it's, it's slowly collapsing and people are trying to glue it back from from below. Anything happening that easily makes me kind of happy. But yeah, that's it for today. Please support me on Patreon.com/EasternBorder, and if you could click the EasternBorder.lv and click the donate button there, uh, I'd be very appreciative as well. You know, I'm trying to get married here, doing health stuff. After all, recent poisonings isn't isn't that nice. But I'm going to work harder. It's going to be great. And remember, as always, and especially this time of the year, and let's hope for the, for the new one, happiness is mandatory. <laughs>